The great Dallas Willard, former philosopher at USC, said that human beings think about the future as naturally as we breathe. Humans think about the future as naturally as we breathe. And for most of us, we are consumed at times by thinking about the future, that there's something more to come, or at least that there's hope that there's something more to come. Sometimes in cognitive psychology, we'll talk about how our thoughts are ultimately pathways to the way that we feel, that sometimes when we notice different feelings in our lives, we tap into the root of the pathway, and that is our thoughts. And so what we've done uh, over the last couple of weeks is we're taking some time to look at a big word called eschatology. Very simply, this word many of you guys know is about the end, but more importantly, not diving into like rapture theology and some of the things that some of us are in therapy for. Come on, anybody with me? Um, but really looking at somebody like, oh, I know, yeah, you can join, join my support group. Um, Instead of this doom and gloom type of picture of the end, one of the things we get at the end of Revelation in Revelation 21 and 22 is this picture of what coming down to earth? A city. A city. New heavens and a new earth. Interesting that, you know, in the evangelical moment even still, there's a lot of emphasis around how everything is going to burn up, and yet the picture we get in the Bible is the picture of a redeemed city coming, that God's original temple, heaven and earth together in Eden, is being brought back together. Ultimately, what we want to do here, and if you missed last week, I didn't teach, we really engaged what I think is the best teaching on the new earth and the new city by a guy named Daryl Johnson. And if you were missing last week, I'd go back and listen. It's on our podcast and on our, on our Facebook page. A great teaching, probably the best teaching I've heard on a description and, and really an explanation of what Revelation 21 and 22 gives and how it, it, it embodies us, it draws us into the hope, this hopeful future. Instead of like turn and burn theology, it actually really brings us into God renewing all things, humans, but yes, created space, heaven and earth coming back together. And so Daryl basically started us by giving us the theology, which I love, and now what we want to do is we want to take time to then say, okay, if this is where we're headed, if the telos or the end goal is a redeemed city, heaven coming and joining with earth, a new heavens and a new earth, and this is actually hopeful, not scary, it's beautiful in drawing us into something, then what does it mean for today? This is what I want to talk about for a few minutes. What does it mean now, right? If our thoughts are a pathway to how we feel and behave and enact, one of the things that we know is that a proper understanding of where we're headed as the Jesus community and as the redeemed people of God will actually play in the present, right? So you know this, a lot of times like our rapture theology or whatever it is around the end very much leads us to an escapist type of worldview in the present. And if we push against this and say actually, God's redeemed world is a city made new, what does this mean for us in the present? You know, you know what I'm saying? What if, what if actually the way we think about the future has a deep impact then on how we enact as, as the Jesus community? 
Um, let's do this. Let's read Revelation 21, 1 through 5. If you want to open your Bible with me, I'm going to read it. It's not going to be on the screen this morning. You can just listen to It's okay. We covered this last week. But again, this is the telos. This is the end goal. So John is on Patmos getting a vision from Jesus, and this is what it says. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, Revelation 21.1. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Last week, again, we came around the theology, the sea being chaos. No more chaos. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, look, God's dwelling is among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and he will be their God. He'll wipe every tear away from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order, the old order, the old way of things has passed away. Verse five, he who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything, everything new. And then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. This is the reading of God's word. Interesting there that the word new, you know this if you've been around a while, there's different Greek words that we translate into English. This word new here is kainos. And you know this, right? Um, especially with the rage right now around home renovation shows. Anybody with me? I know Heather's in kids right now, but uh, HGTV is on our home a lot. There's this, we're dialed into this a little bit, like restoration projects. I was talking to somebody this week, like old cars sitting in the garage, re, kind of renewing and restoring old cars. Our imaginations light up when it comes to this. And it's interesting that the word kainos, I'm making all things new, is not the word that would be used when we talk about new from scratch, right? Something kind of from nothing or something from parts. The, the picture we get is actually a renovation. One of the Greek uh, scholars that I was reading this week, he just put out the word fresh, and I thought, let's drop the mic on that one. The image we get of where the world is headed and what Jesus is doing is a, a made new, made fresh, Jesus renewing all things. And even there, when we dial into that, it says a lot then about our present age, right? That isn't perfect, but is so often, because of the way we think about the future, it's just kind of pushed to the side. Think about the way we treat the environment, the world around us, people within that environment. It's so important to catch that Jesus is renewing not just human beings, but the entire world. And so what we believe about the future ultimately is going to affect how we live in the present. And another way of putting it is we automatically live out. It's our default as people. We automatically live out in the present what we think the future holds. And if that's burning up and doom and gloom, then probably in the present, it's going to lead us to practice in certain ways that embody that particular view of the future. If it's a city that's renewed, a place where God is dwelling, and again, go back, and I'm not gonna touch the theology as much, but if it is where God's presence, Jesus is among us, then that man, that does something to us in the present. Just like we talked last week, and I've been saying this even in our own teaching. Some of us, we don't like the city at times. We think of, I was just in New York City, we think of big cities, and for some of us, we go, I just wanna like live in the country on my own, right? But imagine, we always say, imagine a city, even as we look out, imagine this city where the curse is lifted, 
where there is no pain and suffering. Imagine what this place could be like. Um, I'm going off my notes a little, and I may do that this, uh, this morning a little, um, and I know I'm always cautious of opinion, right? I'm always, you know, when there's not direct scripture and verse, but I do think if you're asking Drew Fess over coffee um, what the new heavens and the new city will look like, I do, it, uh, there's just something in me that really believes it will be a replica of the earth that we live on, but made new. God is not giving up on this space, that the entire earth will be renewed, that the picture of the city, remember it gives like stadia, and if you remember from last week, Revelation 21, 22, it actually gives like measurements, and that's more symbolic to say that there is space for everybody in this renewed world, and I think the beauty of that, imagine if we embodied that, what that would do for us. And so ultimately what we wanna do is focus on the reality that the church in its present moment should be a foretaste you and I, in our practices, in our gathering, and what we do, should be an embodied foretaste of the new earth. Now, are we broken? Come on, brothers and sisters. Are we far from perfect? Absolutely. But one of the things you get with the church, the early church, in all its dysfunction, in all of it kind of being spectacularly unspectacular, is a picture that there's something better that happens within this community that gives a taste or a glimpse of where we're headed in a renewed world. A.J. Woodward, he puts it like this. He says, the church is called to be a foretaste of God's kingdom, a place where people can get a taste of the future in the present. When the church is a foretaste, it demonstrates what life is like when men and women live under the rule and reign of God, when the people of God love one another, extort one another, encourage one another, forgive one another, and live in harmony with one another. In this way, the church becomes a concrete, a tangible, though not perfect, foretaste of the kingdom that is to come. Come on, somebody. Uh, Daryl Johnson, in his teaching, as he unpacked Revelation 21 and 22 and the picture of the new earth, this, this new city, he talked about three things. He talked about how, you can throw it up if you want, how this new city is earthy, right? It's glorious, and the image we get in what John sees, it's intimate. And what Johnson did is he talked about like taking the text and really pulling apart what the imagery would have looked like in the first century to really help us see that this place is going to be earthy, glorious, and intimate. What I want to do this morning is I want to look at these three words again. I'm going to rip him off a bit, okay, so I'll give him a little bit of credit. But what I want to do is I want to take these words, earthy, glorious, and intimate, and I want to bring them now into the present. Okay, so if this is where we're headed in the new heavens and the new earth, then what, do th what, what does this mean, earthy, glorious, and intimate? What does it mean to then embody that as a foretaste of where we're headed? What does it look like for us in the here and now? What if the future affected then, and, and I'm not thinking as much about people out there as, as I am the church community, as we enact and practice together, what does it mean for us now? Earthy. Um, Johnson talked about how it's, we're not earthly, we're earthy, and there's a difference there. The point is, is the image we get of the new earth is very concrete. It's a place and a space. 
It is a place where we will dwell, where God's presence is, and you can read the imagery, it is, it is there. Interestingly, from my childhood, there was this kind of impulse that we were kind of flying away somewhere, and yet the image we get is a very concrete place coming here, very physical. Sometimes we think of heaven as very otherworldly, and we wanna push against that to say, no, there's actually something real and tangible and earthy about where we're headed, and then ask the question, okay, what does that then mean for us now? A few things I think it means for us on the earthy side, and you, these are, this is no surprise to you in our own teaching. I think about a few things. One, our work, right? And we've talked a lot about work here. But it's fascinating that a very escapist, otherworldly kind of view of heaven often puts us in a place where we don't focus on the importance of work and vocation in our moment, right? So one of the things we come to as Jesus followers, and we wanna just remind ourselves in this, is that our work in the present actually matters. I, I, you know, our church is quite young and just been around young people a lot over the last decade or more, and it's fascinating that there can be this pull, and I get it, the tension of work and t- terrible jobs, and oh, we've talked a lot about that, but it is important to renew ourselves and even renew our minds around the importance of work and vocation in this moment as though it's not God throwing something out, but leading us then into the new earth where our work actually matters. Will our work and vocation change for some of us? Yes. Are there destructive jobs? You know this. We did a whole series on work at the beginning of last year. Yes, absolutely. But one of the things around this kind of earthy concept of where we're headed is what you and I do now actually matters. We live in the tension of waiting and longing for the earth to be renewed, but we also, in our longing, are active in world-making. Have you ever looked at the window here? Look. I mean, as crazy and as backward sometimes as human are, humans are, like, look, you ever think, like, look what humans do in the act of world, world building, right? That's because we're actually created to world build, right? So we're earthy, not earthly, and I would say we're not worldly, but we're world builders, that part of the stewardship of humans in the garden, remember the word avad for dress the garden was also the same word used for worship. And just fascinating how, as this all ties together, as we are heading somewhere, I just wanna remind us, we are not gonna be sitting around on harps and clouds. In the new city, we will be active in the things that God has created us to do. Um, Some of you were probably around, you know, like I just remember thinking, uh, that kind of heaven or eternity was going to be like the, the never-ending church service, and I would just begin to sweat under my arms, right? I'd hear like, when we've been there 10,000 years, and that's what church music was like back in the day. Um, and I would just think like, that sounds like the other place. You know what I'm talking about? Like 10,000 years of church services. And I notice sometimes the posture with pastors is, is we kind of give this picture of eternity as an eternal worship service, and for some of us, that should freak us out. It really should. Because in the garden, there was no church services. It was humans in right relationship with God flowing out of their lives and creating. And yes, it went terribly wrong, but we say around work, vocation, and the things that we do, this will bleed into eternity. 
that we're not just going to be attending church services 24 hours a day. We're going to be active in this city with Jesus at the center. And so it informs our work now in what we do with our, our lives. And I know there's complexity with work, but it's important. What about play or the things that we enjoy? Can I, like, ease the guilt and the tension in the room? It is okay to enjoy things in this world, in this present age. And again, pushing against the, the eternal kind of church service vision of the future, it reminds us that what we like to do right now in a renewed world, we will probably do forever. That even in our play and in our activity, it is actually part of our, our worship. Now, in this age, is it broken? Again, of course. But guys, and I know I'm off the notes here, I really do believe there's going to be sports in the new earth. And you're, you laugh at that, you do, like, but here's, here's what we do. Again, in our, and I push against pastors a bit, in our over-spiritualization of what we think worship is, and I know we get pictures of cherubim and seraphim, and I get that, around the temple of God, around, the, the, around God, worshiping and praising, all of that, I believe we join in with the angels, absolutely. But even in our kind of laughing at that, that there could be sports or art or good film and TV and good coffee and good beer or whatever it is in the new earth, we kind of like laugh as though like, yeah, that's just kind of, kind of a funny way of looking at it. I would say it's a way in which we've been conditioned to think again that what we do in the present doesn't matter, right? So we say, man, around here a lot, our worship is embodied in what we do. In, in playing, in doing things that we enjoy, in creating and using our hands, our minds, our emotions for going on that hike, for you know, taking the kids to hockey practice, for whatever it is. Somehow we've kind of pitted our worship against these things. And I get that there, there's caution there and we can be consumed with these things. But I just want to sh- not shake because that's violent. I want to like say to people sometimes, like God, could God actually be into some of the things we like? right? We pin it as though, like, it's got to be on our knees, and we need, you know, proskuneo type of worship. We talk about this, but we also need this all of life embodying the things in which we're created and the way that we're created and using those things as our everyday worship, and I would say this is what, this, the, the telos of where we're headed, the end goal is earthy. Our work, what we like to do, the things you put your time and energy into. These don't have to be quote-unquote secular things. These can be things that we engage, and I believe that the, what God is preparing is so, so good for us, and it's earthy. I'll also say, side note, on the environment, right? So a lot of people think this place is going to burn up. I, think it's a, I do think this is a blueprint, and I do think the way in which we steward things is very important in our moment. That's not like a side note. That's not like a hippie, liberal, kind of off-to-the-side statement, right? We preserve and we, we, we steward what we do in the present age because where we're headed is earthy. And is God going to have to do a renewal in that area? Obviously. But where we're headed is earthy, and that means there are things in the present as far as our work, what we do, our families, how we spend our money, our time, justice-creating, environment, all of it. What we think about the future deeply affects how we live in the present. You with me? You out there? If we get this right, and we haven't at times, it will do something, and all all I have control over is our own community here, 
to say if we could refine this in our minds and our hearts, what begins to happen? So it's earthy. It's also glorious. Uh, Johnson gave just a beautiful picture and unpacked some of the imagery and the language. Again, go back and listen to it of what, what this city is. It's glorious. God's presence everywhere. One of the things we need to think through in the present then is God's presence now. And many of you know this, there's a bit of a a progression when it comes to God's presence throughout the ages and throughout the scriptures. We know after the garden experience and rebellion, as, as God calls Israel out, God's presence is what? In a box, right? At one point, the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle, and then finally Israel gets this space where they're able to build and create a, a, a temple for God to dwell. Remember, God's first temple was Eden, heaven and earth together. So you get to this temple. Then Jesus gets on the scene, and we get the, the image from the first century writers that Jesus came and he was the temple. He was the one that tabernacled among them, that God's presence had no longer been restricted to the Holy of Holies in the temple, but it was now amongst them in the form of flesh and blood in Jesus. Then Jesus, if we just keep progressing, he ascends to heaven and leaves his presence and his spirit with his people, and one of the images we get is now the church is, this temple is this dwelling place, and we will eventually progress to this glorious space where there are, there, there, there are no limits, there are no bounds in God's presence among us. It would be felt everywhere. Now the tension is this, and you know this, there's a tension in our low view of God's presence in the moment. Right? So it's actually a good thing that Jesus ascended to heaven because he gave his spirit to dwell among us and now God's presence is, is wherever his people are, right? Living within us. And so this is beautiful. There can kind of be a low view that um, God's presence is only in one place in one time. Now, it's, now God's presence and spirit is poured out. One of the things we want to think through though too, if the place we're headed is glorious, what does this mean for our moment if we are the temple? And that says to our own view of church and how we enact that what we do is actually really important because you and I can experience God's glory and presence on our own, but there's something tangible. We are limited. We're not limited in the sense we don't have to go to the Holy of Holies and have some priests cut up bulls and do all that they did. So that's a good thing. You with me? Right? But we are still also, even though God's presence has been poured out and we can experience, limited in the sense it is not in every crevice like it will be in the new city. So brothers and sisters, if you think of it like that, am I talking over your head? You know, you're with me? Just nod, just to validate me a bit, okay? You know, it's a hard work. I'm working hard here, okay? What does this mean then for us as the church? And all the banter, I get it, about deconstruction, and most people I grew up with, you know, have kind of given up on the church, and many people walking away, you know, in our moment. I get it. There's part of me, though, and one of the reasons why I'm still around is because if this is where we're headed, if we're headed to a space that is glorious, but we're also limited in this moment, like God's presence, yes, it's kind of all around us, but it's all also limited by the curse that we live under, 
then what does it mean for the church when we gather together? It means that this is the space in which we experience the glory of God. That I can't just experience that on my own, but the image the New Testament writers would give is that God's presence is felt and experienced in the temple. Not the Holy of Holies in Jerusalem, but now on the third floor of a community center and on mudhud floors and in cathedrals and warehouses, in homes, God's temple together. See, it's not, you know my style, it's not just, hey, you need to go to church. That doesn't work. Just telling people, hey, you, you know what you really need to do post-COVID? You need to go to church. Come on, is that gonna work? What if we gave a vision of this is where we're headed, it's glorious, and the way that we get a foretaste of that is by what we're doing here. Today, this morning, is spectacular because the temple of God is together, and it's quite unspectacular because <laughs> we're just ordinary people following Jesus together. And there's such low views of the church, and we want to say to people, well, just go to church. Again, that's not going to work. What if this is where the glory of God is experienced? Not just on stage with a guy talking with a Britney Spears mic on, but every conversation in coffee, every psalm that's read, every song that's sung, opportunity for prayer, encouragement. You know, the beauty of this is in my own, and this is what going bivocational has really helped. It's kind of taken the pastor pressure off, and I'd say even in the last year, what I would see more and more is that actually the spaces where we encounter God are some of the areas we often wouldn't think. That side conversation, that leads to a coffee, that leads to a relationship, right? That opportunity to hear somebody else's story. The glory of God is experienced among us. And again, that's not to make it, you know, we've done this with the church in the moment. Well, that, everything has to be spectacular. And we've got to shoot stuff out of cannons and, you know, have the lights spin. And that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a community of people together where God's presence lives. We experience that on our own. But there's a foretaste that happens in and among us as we move to a completely glorious space where Jesus is worshipped. He's at the center. And there is no pain, suffering. Every tear is wiped away. So in the moment, we live earthy, right? Work matters, play matters, the environment matters, everything we put our hands to matters. God's not throwing this place out. He's renewing it. It's glorious. We experience the glory of God now together. And the new earth is intimate, right? The image we get, God walking just in the garden, in the cool of the day. No restrictions, actually, the, the beauty of the city is that the gates are wide open, and if you think about that, if you were reading in the first century or in the ancient world a city with no gates, you would just laugh out loud. That'd be like an LOL moment because of the injustice and the, the, the war and the fear in that culture, the gates of the city were the things that fortified it, and now this city invites everybody in, and one of the images we get is that it's intimate. God with his people. And what we say is we get to experience that now. If that is our future reality where there is no limitations to my own relationship with Jesus, we say we do everything now in the present to live that now. This is why we talk about the practices, the spiritual practices, 
because we want to embody a type of life with God now that we will get to experience in totality in the future, right? This is why we really focus on prayer and engaging each other and these practices that form us into the way of Jesus. And so we're limited, just like we're limited when we talk about the presence of God, and yes, God dwells among us, we also are limited in some sense that the, the picture of the new earth is intimate, and yet we still get glimpses of this in our lives now. That the Spirit, the name for the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, one of the names is the parakaleo, the one who comes alongside. That you and I get to experience this now in the present, that we have a relational God who hasn't just left us on our own, but we can experience his presence and we can walk with him in intimacy now, but there will be a day where there will be nothing that gets in the way. That this intimacy will be in every facet of our lives. Every bone in our body would feel and experience intimacy with God, would be brought back into relationship with him. And so are there limitations in the moment? kids and work and the craziness of schedules and relationships and things aren't perfect and things aren't as they should be, certainly. But there's this sense that God's presence is with us and then there will be a day where nothing gets in the way. And so we say these practices are important now as we live this out as the people of God. That what we do with our lives now deeply matters. If it's all gonna burn up, right? If it's all just going to be thrown out, then that's going to affect us here. But if it is about God renewing all things, bringing heaven and earth back together, and we get glimpses of this new city where the redeemed people of God will be, it does something for us now. We're earthy. We're living into God's glory. We're experiencing God's glory. And the places and spaces we can now, we cultivate intimacy with God. You with me? Right thinking about the future, will change the church in its present. And so I don't have all of this cased out theologically. There's things people, here's the tension, and you can come ask questions. I know people like eschatology fever, like even amongst all of us. I have questions about the future as well. I get it. But the main thing for our community as we talk about this is how we think deeply influences how we live now. What we're gonna do, if you missed a teaching last week, you can engage that. What we're gonna do next week in Community Sunday is we have some things prepared, and group leaders, this will be sent to you, where we then cultivate some discussion out of this next week, where we kind of get to the nitty-gritty of talking through what we've learned over these couple of weeks as a way to say, this isn't just about somebody up front downloading stuff on us, but we wanna hear from you and your own communities in what you're feeling and experiencing as we walk through this. Does that make sense? Now. The beauty of what we're going to do here as we close our gathering is this is a foretaste, but the bread and the cup is like the pinnacle of the foretaste of the kingdom coming to earth, right? So as we walk in a second, as these guys lead us and they're going to lead us through some songs and as we worship and close our morning together, when we kind of take the aisle and we come to the bread and cup this morning, Again, it's a reminder that we're just not mental assenting to like knowing God in our minds. That's part of it. But when the juice, the juice, hits the taste buds and the bread hits our mouth, it's a reminder for us of the place God's preparing for us. The image we get in this new city 
is like a feast. God's preparing a place, a table for us. And so if you, you want to talk about foretaste, what we're doing here, again, really simple things, right? Really sim- Like, again, somebody from the outside could walk in and say, well, this isn't that spectacular. We say, well, it's spectacular and it's kind of unspectacular. But the spectacular part of this is in the rhythm of taking the bread and the cup, it's a reminder of what God's preparing for us. And I hope this morning as we take it, it's, it's a, a, vision, a, a vision of the future, but it's also then, okay, I eat and drink now because of what Jesus has done and what he's preparing. What does this mean for me here in my own worship, right? So stand with me. Let's pray. The team's going to come. Let's just take time as we close. There's a table at the back, and it is open, brothers and sisters. And Jesus, I just pray as we just kind of close our gathering together by coming to the table and taking this, that you just be among us. You're, you're here. I thank you for that. But in the simple things here, help us as we eat and drink in a little small way, but it may be a reminder of what you're preparing, what you're doing in us, and your work in us. I pray for those that maybe are in this room, and this is kind of maybe the first time the imagination is going around, God, your work in the world. Help us. Help us in that. Help us to receive your love, your grace. In Jesus' name, Jesus' name. Brothers and sisters, the table is open. God is inviting us. Let's sing together, let's celebrate, let's eat together.